You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ in others, and grows together in our faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the second Sunday of Easter, April 19, 2020, by the Reverend Lex Breckenridge, Rector at St. Thomas. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the religious authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Have you had the blues recently? It's going around these days, I'm told. In fact, I myself woke up yesterday morning with a mild case of the blues. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but something was a little off. If we'd had a cat, I would have barked at the cat. If we'd had a dog, I would have hissed at the dog. If we'd had a parrot, I would have yelled at the parrot to shut up. And I was just out of sorts. Now, it took me about a minute and a half to diagnose the cause of my blues. I was blue because I was missing things. Things like a haircut, for instance. As you can see, I really need one. And Zani told me not to trust her with a pair of scissors, and I'm glad she said it before I had to. 
So yeah, I really want a haircut. And I wanted to end our afternoon hike yesterday with a beer at the Chain Line Brewery in Kirkland instead of just heading back home. As you can see, I was a little petulant, sort of like my three-year-old grandson. You know, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But on a deeper level, though, I realize what I'm really missing is you. Yes, you. You and you and you and you. I really miss you. I'm missing your faces and your voices and your laughter and your warmth and your energy. I mean, I love our beautiful musician friends gathered behind me this morning, but I also want the other 30 of you back here. I want to share the sacrament with you. I want to be at coffee hour with you. I want to pray with you. I want to laugh with you. All of which is to say that I realized yesterday morning that I'm missing community. I'm missing my St. Thomas community. I'm missing my family community. I'm missing my friend community. I'm missing the warmth and the mess of being close to my fellow human beings. Now, the cure for that yesterday morning blues was to FaceTime with our New Orleans kids. When we called, they were having lunch in their backyard on a beautiful spring Saturday. Now the grandkids had some silly questions for us. And then Alex and Kirsten and Zani and I had some wonderful grown-up conversation that didn't have anything to do with viruses or lockdowns or politics. It was just what I needed to boot the blues out the back door. You know, I'm realizing in all of this that I have a fervent desire. My fervent desire is for things to return to normal. For things to return to the known, to the expected, to the unsurprising. But while this is my fervent desire, my guess is that that's not happening. We are in unknown territory. And the old, the familiar, the routine isn't our current reality and probably won't be our new reality. What our new reality looks like, we can't yet say, and we, and we sure can't control it as much as we wish we could. But here we are in Easter. And I do believe that in this Easter season, we are offered hope. And with hope, we can embrace the new, we can embrace the different, we can embrace the unexpected, with the promise that resurrection offers us. So let's talk about the resurrection. You know, all the resurrection appearance stories share one detail in common. When the risen Lord first appears to his disciples, to his most intimate friends, the ones who had known him best, they at first didn't recognize him. That's right. In some way that's not described in these stories, but which is made very clear. Jesus' appearance had changed. Mary Magdalene at first took him for the gardener. Two dusty travelers who had apparently known Jesus well were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus on Easter evening, and they found themselves accompanied by a stranger whom at first they didn't recognize. But later they learned that that turned out to be the risen Lord. Peter and his friends spent a night fishing when a stranger came up to them on the beach in the morning, 
And like those travelers to Emmaus, they at first didn't recognize. It turned out to be Jesus. You see, the normal, the expected, the familiar was no more. The risen Lord, it seems, bring with, brings with him the unfamiliar, the unexpected. The lives of his friends would never be the same. There was no going back. From now on, in the midst of the unfamiliar and the unexpected, these frightened friends of Jesus were to be not only followers of the word, they were to be doers of the word. And although they couldn't exactly see what the future would hold, they went out with hope for that unknown future. And inspired with confidence by the power of the risen Lord's appearance and presence in their lives, they changed the world. Now there's another detail that's critically important for us to understand. And this detail is particularly meaningful. In these days when we and all creation feel wounded. Let's turn to this morning's gospel reading to see what I mean. The day after Easter, the day after Mary Magdalene had announced to them that she had seen and spoken with the risen Lord, the disciples, apparently not yet believing this amazing story, are gathered in a house behind locked doors because they fear arrest by the religious authorities. And a figure mysteriously appears and stands among them. He speaks a word of peace. But it's not until he shows them his wounded hands and his wounded side that they recognize him. Now Thomas, our patron saint here, didn't happen to be there that evening. And he couldn't believe it when he was told what they had seen. Unless I see and touch those wounds in his hands and his side, I'm not going to believe it, he says. And then a week later, they gather again, and this time Thomas is there. He is present. And Jesus again mysteriously appears. Put your finger here and see my hands, he says to Thomas. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Take a look at that beautiful Caravaggio painting on the cover of your worship sheet. It's just luminous. Thomas places his hand deeply into the wound in Jesus' side. And you can see the light bulb coming on. He gets it. When he sees the wounds and touches the wounds, he finally gets it. My Lord and my God, he exclaims. Now, our patron is often referred to as Doubting Thomas, and that's sure an important part of the story. But what I want to draw our attention to this morning isn't Thomas. I want to draw our attention to Jesus, to the Christ, to the risen Lord. The new reality of Jesus' resurrected life includes his wounds. The resurrection, the new life, the new world it opens up isn't possible without Jesus' wounds. I mean, we'd expect his wounds to disappear or at least look like they've been healed. 
But apparently that's not how resurrection is going to work. In fact, if you think about it, it's only at the place of the wound itself that healing can happen. His wounds, our wounds, are important, it seems. The place of brokenness becomes the place of greatest strength. How many times in your life have you wanted to run away from your wounds? Forget your wounds, wish them away? How often have you been ashamed of the broken parts of your life? How often have you tried to ignore the wounded parts of our world, the wounded parts of our culture, the wounded parts of all creation? For me, my honest answer is plenty of times. There are plenty of times when I want to just forget my wounds and the wounds of the world, when I want to run away from them and wish they'd never happened. Yet it's in our woundedness that we're most vulnerable. And it's in that vulnerability, that humility, that we're finally open enough to change. It's our woundedness, it's in our vulnerability, that we are open wide enough to allow God to come in, to allow God to transform us, to allow God's reality to become our reality. Of course, it's always this way, whether we like it or not. It's just one of the great paradoxes of faith that the wounds in our lives are also the places of our greatest strength. It's remarkable, I think, that this pandemic we're living in is happening in the seasons of Lent and Easter. Lent is that season of vulnerability, of humility, where we're invited to let go of our attachments to the false gods, the false gods of success and money and power and comfort. All those gods just numb us to reality. That letting go if we really do it, can be scary and can even feel like death. But that's not the end of the story. Easter comes right behind Lent. Death isn't the end of the story. As we look around us in these days, it's not just we who are wounded. In a very profound way, all of creation is wounded I think we all know this. And I want to say that it is this very woundedness that will also be the place of our healing. My dear sisters and brothers, there's no going back. I mean, it's hard to fathom how things can ever be exactly as they were. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. That's the power of the resurrection. Things were never again exactly as they'd been for the disciples, those intimate friends of Jesus. They lost Jesus forever in one way, but gained him in an infinitely more profound way in what became their new reality. And the way of life for all of us. There is resurrection. There is new life happening all around us. This is our opportunity. This is our sacred opportunity to live into this new reality, 
to bring into this new reality what works for us and to let go of what hasn't worked for us. You know, it's become so apparent that in these days that we care so deeply about one another. We've been smiling at one another. We've been greeting one another. We've been reaching out to one another with offers of help and with vulnerable requests for help. Now life is slower, and that's a good thing. You know, we can choose to spend more and better time with our families. We can choose to spend more and better time with our friends. We can choose to spend more time building relationships and making new friends. And we can sure spend more time in prayer. We can make different and healthier choices about where we as individuals place our resources and we can make more and better and healthier choices about where we as a society place our resources. We can these days see a lot more clearly what's important and what's not. My dear friends, we are all suffering in one way or another. Those who have lost loved ones to this damned virus, those who have lost jobs or have had wages cut because of this damned virus, those whose plans and dreams have been put on hold or dashed because of this damned virus, those who are isolated or lonely or in despair because of this damned virus, all feel the suffering in the most profound way. You know, it all seems absurd and tragic and unjust. Yet if we can see these wounds, these deep wounds, as the way forward towards transformation, just like Jesus did, they can become our sacred wounds. Not something to be denied or avoided or projected onto other people. Jesus, the risen Lord, teaches us that God uses tragedy and pain. And God uses our wounds to bring us into a larger life, to bring us into a deeper identity in union with God. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The grain of wheat must fall to the earth and die. The grain of wheat must fall to the earth and be transformed before it can bear fruit. You see, in the divine economy, everything can be used. Everything can be transformed. Nothing, including these terrible experiences we're all in the midst of right now, nothing is wasted. But we usually can't see it until after it's happened. It's only in hindsight that this new reality might make sense. So in this season of resurrection, the season where God is using our wounds to transform us, I pray that I might have the courage, that I might have the grace to trust in hope that God's purpose for me that God's purpose for you, that God's purpose for all of creation is being worked out. 
like Thomas, I want to let go of doubt and believe. I want to say with Thomas and with all my heart, my Lord and my God. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website at www.stthomasmedina.org.